Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. So, Steve, did Ava Gardner and Howard Hughes have a good relationship? Well, they did until he dislocated her jaw. What? Well, don't worry. She hit him back with an ashtray. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Hey, it's Josh, and this is a very special mini episode, a mini bonus episode of the movies that made me. Um, obviously, we're big fans of Joe Bob Briggs on the show, and I think I've told, I did tell the story when he was on, but um, the, the very shortest version possible is uh, many years ago, I wrote and directed a very low-budget uh, horror film called Infested. Very proud of it. You can still find it out there in various places. And we were searching for a distributor and Joe Bob got his hands on the film and loved it and wrote a marvelous review of it that actually led to the movie getting distribution. So um, I will always be deeply beholden to Joe Bob Briggs. So when he called up and asked if he could come on our show and talk for a little while about the director of, uh, <laughs> of the cinematic masterpiece known as Bloodsucking Freaks, who are we to say no? So here we are. It's Joe Bob Briggs on a very special episode of The Movies That Made Me. This is The Movies That Made Me, with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante. Well, Joe Bob, thanks for joining us. Now, is the, um, you're dropping this episode of your show on Friday. Is that correct? Yeah, it's the uh, premiere episode of the second season of the last drive-in. Fantastic. Uh, this Friday, nine Eastern, six Pacific. And uh, Have you noticed the drive-ins are making a comeback? Yes. They're making a comeback. Did you see the box office report for the week? Yes. The only. <laughs> it was $1,700 and it was all at one drive in. Yeah. <laughs> the entire box office take for the entire country was one drive in. It's, yep. it's, I, Joe Bob, I got to ask you after all these years, do you feel vindicated? I really, you know what? I do feel vindicated because I, I I'm, I'm always, people are always saying, do you think the drive ins will ever come back? And I always say, you know, I, I have these people send me every article ever written on a drive-in, right? Sure. So I've got dry, I've got articles from the 50s saying the drive-in is dead. And then <laughs> and then the 60s, the drive-in is dead. The 70s, the 80s, the 90s. You know, it's like they've never gone away. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's like the evergreen feature article at the, uh, at the newspaper. You know, the, the, oh, this vanished piece of Americana. <laughs> so, right. the only part of it that's vanished is drive-in movies movies that were made for drive-ins that's well, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's what i want to see um there cool. is uh shit i should be oh yeah here it's the um uh here outside of la we have the mission tiki drive-in theater i'm actually uh we're planning on going there soon but um i'm trying to figure out how this works they have their coming soon list and they're showing all these movies like wonder woman and so forth which i expect are getting delayed um, I can't imagine Marvel putting out Wonder Woman just so it can play at the Mission Tiki Theater in uh, 
Well, it's a drive-in. Maybe they're showing the one from two years ago. Yeah. Oh, no, this is this is the new one. They're advertising the new oh, one. It's okay. coming soon. Okay. But, uh, but whatever it is, I, I'm definitely going uh, soon. We're very excited about getting out of the house and seeing a movie in a in a, the way it should be seen, the way God meant them to be seen. Yeah, throw a windshield with bug splats on it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, but Joe Bob, thank you for joining us. Um, uh, we were thank you for you. having me back. Yeah. Yeah, we're thrilled when you reached out. And um, why don't why don't you? We'll let you introduce us and, and tell our listeners uh, what what you're uh, what you're here to talk about this week. Well, we're here to talk about Joel Reed. Did either you guys know Joel? Not uh, personally, no. Not yeah, personally, okay. I knew of him. Joel Reed was one of the Joel Reed. Unfortunately, is uh, uh, passed away last week of the coronavirus. He was eighty six uh, years old. Um, he he was one of the strangest. Uh, filmmakers uh, who made some of the most disturbing films <laughs> in in history, and he was part of the he was part of a of a sort of forgotten group of filmmakers, which were the the, the hustlers of New York City um, in the late '60s, early '70s, in the in the pre-porn era. It was before porn, but they they were dedicated to making dirty movies. Before you could actually show hardcore pornography, you know, hardcore pornography was still illegal. So there's this, there's this, there's this period from about 1965 to 1972, you know, where um, where these guys made what 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 were exploitation movies, but they were the exploitation movies made in New York were just dirtier than the ones made in L.A. You know, and the ones in LA had good lighting, and the ones in New York had bad lighting, and the ones in the ones I mean, they in were LA... they were literally dirtier. They were grimier. But they're grungy. They're grungy movies. They just look like they might have been made by a maniac, you know. And so, and so, Joel Reed, Joel Reed was a press agent, but uh, a publicity agent. He worked for this uh, uh, starting in the fifties. He worked for the studios now. If you were a publicity agent in the 50s in New York City, uh, you did sleazy stuff. Uh, that, that was the era when you would, you know, you, if they sent a movie star to New York City, you were in charge of entertaining that movie star and taking them to the clubs and making sure that all the gossip columnists talked to them and inventing a bunch of fake stories to give to the press. And you were also in charge of arranging bribes for all the people that could affect the fortunes of this movie. And so Joel's basic job was he was an arranger and a fixer and he knew how to get girls and how to get drugs and how to get, you know, anything that was needed to grease the skids of the old Hollywood, you know, that, okay. So that's the world that Joel Reed comes from. Okay. And then we get to the late sixties and Joel has, Joel's done well for himself and he has money and he decides, um, you know, I'm going to, you know, a, a guy named, Brandt, and I can't remember his first name. Uh, Eddie. Eddie Brandt. Okay, uh, started. He started the first exploitation uh, film theater at the corner of um, Broadway and Forty Second Street, um, and uh, Joel used to hang out there. And he would. Uh, he decided, well, I'm going to. I'm going to start making some of these movies. And so he made a movie for twelve thousand dollars called Career Bed. That was about um, 
it was it was uh, a, a stage mother. It's, it's it was a really dirty version of All About Eve. It was a stage mother who who pimps out her daughter in order to help her get to the top. You know, so she takes her takes takes her daughter and and basically sells her to whoever will advance her career. And um, then he made another kind of really sleazy kind of pre-porn sex movie. And then he, there was a, a um, weird show in, um, in Soho uh, that was put on by a guy named Giles Fontaine. It was an all nude um, S&M ballet. <laughs> and, and, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hang on because we're doing this remotely and I want to make sure I heard that correctly. It's an all nude. There was an all nude S and M ballet company. Ballet, <laughs> uh, run by a run by a uh, weird French Canadian entrepreneur named Giles Fontaine, and he and he had this theater on Spring Street in Soho, and in the basement of the theater, he kept his uh, slave girls. He had he had these you know, uh, slaves, girls who were in the show, but they were also his slaves. And so they lived in the basement of this theater. And, um, so somebody, they they were actually his, they were actually his concubines. Yes. And so, um, somebody told Joel about this. He goes and sees the show and he meets this guy and he, and he makes a deal that night. He says, I want to rent your theater. I'm going to write a script based on this idea and the idea was um uh it was it was a grand a grand idea where uh you know not only not only is it nude s and m ballet but it's he's actually killing the people <laughs> and and uh and torturing them in strange ways and so he creates this script um so that it can be filmed at this theater in Soho. And he calls it um, uh, the incredible torture show because of the incredible torture show, because he wanted to be able to, they gave instructions to theaters that when you put it on the marquee, you're supposed to put the, the initial letter of the title of each word in the title in a different color. So that it would spell tits. (laughs) (laughs) That was that was Joel Reed's idea of how to market the movie, and so uh, he made this movie with uh, uh, he he had a falling out with Giles Fontaine because he refused to lo- use Giles Fontaine's slave girls. He didn't think they were good enough for his movie, and so he cast his own slave girls uh, from Columbia University and porn. He put up a casting notice at Columbia University and had a lot of Columbia University co-eds that wanted to do it. And uh, somebody asked Joel, you know, why would a Columbia University co-ed be in a movie this this uh, uh, weird and ridiculous? And he said, you have to understand the times. In 1969, a lot of girls thought that being naked was saving the world. And so he was able to convince these girls to be in the movie. Uh, then in addition, he, the, he had some actresses who had been in his other sort of proto porn, you know, goofy flicks that he made. And so, uh, he put together this cast 
he had a really low rent. Uh, he had sort of the grade Z version of Vincent Price, an actor named Seamus O'Brien, uh, who was the star of the film. And he wanted to get Hervé Villachez to, to play the um, demented uh, dwarf. Um, how, I guess that's who you called if you wanted a dwarf. Uh, so wait, or, what year again is this? This would have been... Um, this would have been 74 or five, 75. Okay, so right? yeah. So, yeah. So, um, so Herve, Herve was on his way to so start. Herve, Herve agreed to do it, but then Herve kept asking for more money, and he was in Paris and wanted him to fly him from Paris and everything. And another another dwarf walked in named, named uh, Luis de Jesus, and uh, Luis de Jesus was was working in the circus. He was working for Ringling Brothers. And um, he wanted the role. And Joel's attitude was, um, you know, one demented dwarf is pretty much as good as another one. And so <laughs> Hervé is asking too much. So we'll use Luis de Jesus. And uh, Luis de Jesus, by the way, later starred in Fantasex Island, <laughs> the porn version of Fantasy Island. So anyway, well, should, they, also, should also point out that this would have been after, am I correct? This would have been after a man with a golden gun. Oh yes. Yeah. Many so, years so ago. yeah. So yeah. Hervé, uh, I mean, Hervé would have been worth a great deal more. He, yeah. He, he was, would have been the only name in the show. He was, yes. Yeah. Yes. I guess so. not, I guess not so. all demented dwarfs are interchangeable. Right. So, um, <laughs> so they, uh, he made the movie, uh, for, uh, not very much money that he got, from an end-of-year tax write-off from a lawyer. Um, and they um, premiered it on Broadway because the lawyer wanted a Broadway premiere. Half the audience were, walked out. The Probably the female half of the audience were, walked out because it's a very, you know, I don't often say this about anybody's film, but it's a very misogynist film. It's a very... <laughs> it's a very... And, um, and so... Um, it really had it really kind of died until Lloyd Kaufman in the early days of Troma Films um, saw it and decided that he could do something with it and he changed the name to Bloodsucking Freaks and he re-released it and it became a cult film that he Lloyd still owns it to this day uh, Troma still owns it he uh, Lloyd will tell you uh, it's probably the only film in his library and his library is probably a thousand films he says it's the only film in his library that he probably would not distribute <laughs> he, he would have second thoughts about uh picking it up uh if it uh, had appeared today and <laughs> you know it, it is that it is that offensive and so um uh, if you can offend Lloyd, you can you can pretty much offend anybody, and so and so um, uh, so anyway, it had this it's had this uh, long history as being the weirdest film ever, and I I met um, last year I met uh, uh, Chris Jericho the wrestler who's also a big horror fan, and he tells me he's been obsessed with this film his whole life. You know, he saw it in high school when he was in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Um, and he brought it to his cheap ass movie night that he had with his high school friends. And he's been obsessed with the film ever since. Uh, and so, um, 
uh, I was on his podcast and then I said, I, you know, if you ever want to come on the show and talk about blood sucking freaks, that would be, you know, you're the, you're the world's foremost authority. So that's what we're doing Friday night. We're, we're having, uh, uh, Chris is coming on to, to be the, the, the guest, the guest host. And we're going to go deep, deep, deep into the, into the background of, uh, blood sucking freaks. Uh, so probably a film that even, um, even most hardcore torture porn addicts would have a hard time defending. <laughs> um, that's it. That's what we're doing. That's a thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's sad that Joel um, died one week before the, for the show, we we actually, I was I was planning to actually do a, a stand up with him outside the the, the the actual location of that theater where they had um, uh, uh, where they where they filmed the whole movie. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And he was uh, he had been uh, making ends meet by being an actor, correct? Um, I think... He had, I think he had a five minute career as an actor. He, 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 he did study as an actor. I think he discovered right away he could make more money as a press agent and, and, you know, moved into, moved into other things. He, yeah, he, 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 Joel was a man about town. Everyone knew Joel in New York. He was, um, you know, he dated Catherine Deneuve. He dated, Maria Schneider. He seriously. He, yeah, he was. He was the professional party guy. He was the guy who set up the parties. You know, so he was always in a tux. You know, always. Uh, uh, he, uh, his girlfriend was um, uh, Batgirl on uh, the TV Yvonne show. Craig. Yvonne Craig. Yeah, and um, so uh, Joel was Mister Party Animal in the New York of the. 60s, 70s, um, 80s. He, I, I, being a direct, being a film director was just sort of a, you know, something he did that that he he. I don't even think he. I mean, he made a movie called Wits End. Um, that was um, Z, right? <laughs> no, it, oh. no, it was a it was a bad James Bond, you know, grade Z James Bond. Um, things shot in Singapore, um, and and the producer of it uh, uh, from Hong Kong, 
they, they were having trouble uh, getting bookings, I guess, when the film came out. And he said, um, what's wrong with the film, Joel? What's wrong? What's our problem? And he says, what's wrong with your film is that you hired me to direct it. <laughs> so, so, Joel, so he had a self-awareness that was refreshing. So you, you would say, you'd say he had the... He lacked the uh, directorial dedication of, say, Andy Milligan. Uh, yes, yes, definitely. I mean, it, Joel could never, never quite take it seriously. He was, he was, um, uh, he, he was, he was definitely a dilettante, and I think he would, he would agree that he was a dilettante as a director. I'm just boggled. I'm thinking back to my teenage years because I remember that movie was uh, uh, an early. Um, uh, release on VHS, uh, and I remember sitting around with my friend John Mouton, where on weekends we would just order pizzas, smoke lots of pot, and somehow we'd watch three hundred movies in two days. And um, if you went back in time and told me that the director of Blood Sucking Freaks was dating Catherine Deneuve, <laughs> I, 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 I don't think my you world. Would have would that. that doesn't. I, I'm in big trouble movie. now. <laughs> all of the um all what did she take in the film <laughs> i you know i doubt he was still with Catherine Deneuve yeah, in 1975 <laughs> but but um yeah. uh you know all the various uh, uh sort of uh, subcultures of new york city were interchangeable in those days so that you yeah. had you had you had people in um uh, uh you know you had people who w- would work in Dog Day Afternoon, you know, a movie, um, right. and and then and then the next week they would be in some, you know, uh, you know, crappy off off Broadway uh, show, or they would be working for Joel Reed, or I mean, there was much more, there was much more interchangeability of of the uh, performance artists, the porn world. There was no separate porn world. That's the other thing. You know, it's like people uh, went back and forth until they got so well known as porn actors that then people wouldn't use them in the in the in the legitimate movies. But but um, uh, uh, two, three or four of the of the actors that got their start in Joel Reed movies, you know, became porn superstars like um, Jennifer Wells, uh, Georgina Spelvin, and actually one. Uh, she, I, I don't know if she admits it. She for years she didn't admit it, but um, the first movie of PJ Souls was a Joel Reed movie. Oh, wow. He discovered her in a grocery store on Ninth Avenue. But, but uh, by the way, I just want to get a plug. I, Georgina Spelvin is um, my neighbor now. Oh, really? Well, yes. she'll. I bet she has some wonderful Joel Reed stories. <laughs> if you want to strike up a conversation, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, uh, Joel. Of course, it, any Joel Reed movie would have a a, a a rap party that would turn into an orgy um, because he was a professional, you know, setter up of orgies. But uh, <laughs> um, anyway, we're 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 honoring this uh, this forgotten slice of uh, of uh, New York film history. You know, there were uh, the the indie film world in the late '60s, early '70s 
was actually in three places. Of course, it, mainly it was in L.A., but then it was also in San Francisco, and it was in New York. And each city had sort of had its own uh, style and its own subculture and its own group of actors and its own group of directors. And um, you don't really have that anymore. You don't have that regional look. You know, each each city had its look. There was a certain and 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 New York was always you know gritty and underexposed. <laughs> well, then there were those guys down in Florida, right? Who were, What's that? Uh, were there, and then those guys down in Florida making kind of. Oh, you're yeah. yeah William Grief. They were. They were. William they were, Grief. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Yeah, Miami. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there was a Chicago. I mean, was there a Chicago film industry in the in the sixties and seventies? It doesn't seem like it. There were Phil Kaufman made it, some pictures in Chicago, in uh, Chicago, but um, like Goldstein was made in Chicago, I think. But yeah. uh, not. It wasn't a hub like the other places. Right. So when is your uh, your podcast is on Friday? Yeah. Oh, it's a show. Yeah, uh, it's, it's on Shutter. Yeah, it's oh, it's the a last, Shutter show. Oh, last yeah. drive-in. Uh, we have a ten-week uh, series, double features every week, and um, uh, they usually don't let me announce the titles or the guests. Uh, but we're making an exception for uh, Chris Jericho, and uh, the first movie is a. Um, Roger Corman produced picture that's very famous um, from the 80s. Uh, we have the star of that picture. Um, and um, cult film, very goofy cult film. It's, this is Goofy Night on, uh, <laughs> for the open the season. And, unlike, uh, unlike the usual uh, sober, serious programming. <laughs> right. Um, that you're associated with no, no William Peter Blatty for us you know <laughs> we never use the word iconography on our show <laughs> or semiotic oh my god uh, now will you be showing any more of um, Joel's films over uh, I doubt it I really doubt it <laughs> By popular demand, perhaps. I think this is our one time for a Joel Reed film. I think this is his masterpiece, you know, <laughs> and we'll leave it at oh, that. And you only get to die once, so, you know, yeah. this is memorial. You know, I was, uh, in the 80s, I was at the, uh, 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 the first time I ever met Lloyd Kaufman, I was at the Cannes, Cannes Film Market, and he had his usual suite at the Carlton Hotel at Cannes, and he introduced me to this very dapper older gentleman who turned out to be Lloyd's father. And Lloyd had assigned his father to be the rep, the worldwide representative for bloodsucking freaks. That was his job in the trauma organization. And so Lloyd's father became very protective of, of the movie and uh, apparently did very well, sold it into territories all over the world. But uh, I, 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 ju I just remember that as being, you know, Here's your here's your job, Dad. It's this one movie, Blood Sucking Freaks. <laughs> wow. Well, thanks, Joe Bob. Yeah, thank you very much for this. Um, All right. Thank you are, guys for having me on. Glad to, glad to take a moment and help you share your passion. That's right. <laughs> Spread the world. A unique filmmaker, and um, yeah, I got to say, you know, if you haven't seen Blood Sucking Freaks, it is it is a thing that um, you haven't seen. Uh, <laughs> I, I never. You couldn't put it better. 
thank you. Um, if I can just ask you one favor, Joe Bob, in these times uh, where we're all locked in and now depending on streaming services more than ever, can you try not to break the internet this time? I really, really need it. Oh, yes. I, I, I hope <laughs> Yeah, well, we have a Commodore 64, you know, that runs our pro runs our show. <laughs> <laughs> we try to keep it in good working order, you know, but uh, we, we can't all we can't always handle all those bits. So yeah, uh, <laughs> do your best. I, I right. need my net. <laughs> all right, thank you, sir. Stay safe, stay healthy. The new season of the last drive-in uh, starts today on Shutter. And uh, we are now going to go back to our regularly scheduled programming. We've got a new pandemic parade for you also dropping today. And then we'll be back with a quote-unquote normal episode on Tuesday. Our show was recorded from several well-stocked bunkers. We can't wait to get back to beautiful downtown Burbank. We're the official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the movies that made me. Stay safe out there, folks. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world. Plus... Tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.